this tent There you are You're running for your life You're a shooting star And all the years No one knows Just how hard you worked But now it shows In one shining moment It's all on the line One shining Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, if you want to know who are the best high school basketball coaches and leaders in our country are, you need to stay tuned and listen to the Championship Vision Podcast. We have some of the most renowned and best high school basketball coaches and PE teachers from around the country. Coaches you might not have heard of but have amazing ideas. And I firmly believe every coach in America has genius within them. It's not all about the state championships. It's about the impact you have on your kids and your community. So stay tuned to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coaches, uh, welcome back. This is uh, Coach Kevin Furtado. Today we have uh, the Championship Vision, our episode number three of our Chalk Talk series. Uh, we call it today, we're calling it the Coaching the System. So I think you're really going to kind of get a lot out of this. Uh, uh, you're really going to learn how the system is run. Uh, really, you're going to learn from two of the godfathers of the system, uh, Doug Porter and Gary Smith, and I think you're really going to learn um, just from from the ground up how both of them have built systems at their school. Um, and we're also going to have uh, two other coaches as well. We're going to have uh, Lauren Glenn and also Mike Slavosky, and they're going to they also utilize. Uh, Lauren uses hers in the college level. Mike uses his coaching girls at the high school level. So you're going to have different perspectives on how to run the system in your program. So what this is about is what can you learn from here to take it to your schools and build a great system or add on to what you're already doing. So uh, let's talk about the two featured speakers. As I said, uh, Doug Porter is author of Coaching the System, a complete guide to basketball's most explosive style of play. Uh, He coached at Bethel University, and currently he's at Bethel University women's basketball head coach from 2019 to the present. Uh, Wheaton College, Illinois, he was the women's basketball assistant, 1986-89 and 2017-18. He was at North Central Illinois women's basketball assistant coach from 2012 to 2017. Uh, Where he really started the system was at uh, Olivet Nazarene University in Illinois. He was a head coach from 1998 to um, to 2012. And that's where I really kind of learned about Doug and so forth. And he really developed the system during that time. He was at Aurora University in Illinois from 1994 and 96 and West Texas A&M University women's basketball assistant coach from 91 to 94. He coached 35 all-conference players, six conference MVPs, and 38 academic All-Americans, set 16 national uh, statistical records, led the nation in scoring 11 times, and set college basketball single-season records 
for all levels of both steals, 735, and scoring average, 104.1. Um, so you're really going to learn about uh, what Doug uh, has done, not only in the past, but he's doing right now at Bethel University on building the system within his, within his program. Uh, Coach Gary Smith, he's co-author of Coaching the System. They both wrote the book together. Um, and for those of you who don't know, this is the system. And uh, this is a great book. So if you're putting in the system, make sure you get this book right here. Uh, it has everything from, from ground up to offense, defense, everything. So this is an excellent book. Uh, Gary Smith began coaching at the University of Redlands in 1971-72, following a short stint at San Bernardino High School. Since then, he has compiled an overall record of 439 and 458, gaining his 400th win at the end of the 2002-2003 season. In conference competition, the Bulldogs have gone 221 and 221 under his leadership. He guided the men's basketball team to the 75-76 conference championship which was the program's first title since Smith's senior season. In 1964, his teams captured the crown again in 1981-82, and 89-90. During the 1984-85 season, the Redland squad finished third in the NCAA Western Regional. Smith later developed an up-tempo style of play, which led to team to three NCAA Division III National Scoring Championships in 89, 91, 92. The Bulldogs recently returned to a similar style and recaptured the scoring championship with a record-breaking season average of 132.4 points in 2004-2005. So these are the two of the godfathers. Uh, other than David Arsenal, these guys really established the system. and Everybody kind of um, really kind of studies them. If you have any questions about anything about the system. These are the two guys that will help you. So uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this. So again, welcome to the Chalk Talk 3 podcast. Uh, it was 08, I think. Okay. Uh, and uh, I remember uh, I had finished, we had known each other before that and talked well before that yeah. as, we, as we both had gotten into the system. But, but, uh, I'd been at Grinnell as an assistant for that one year, and I was on my way back east. I drove from Grinnell over to you, and we sat and talked about the book, and that's where it kind of started that mm -hmm. night at your place. And I went on. Actually, I was on my way to see some relatives in Pennsylvania and then over to Europe to do a, a clinic talk to the German Federation about the system. So go ahead, Doug. That's kind of where the book started. Yeah, and we got we got started on it. Gary decided to cover most of the offensive chapters, and I'm sorry, the defensive chapters, and I did some of the offense, but he contributed the chapter about the Redlands offense that the way they had varied the Grinnell set um, there at Redlands. But um, I think we were both wanting to do something that was true to the Grinnell approach because there's a lot of so-called variations to it, but really the only variations I think that have been widespread and effective have been tweaks to the offense. And even even Dave Jr. now at Grinnell runs an offense that's significantly different than what his dad did. The concepts are the same, but the way they execute it uh, is a little different than what they started out with. So the offenses have been different a little bit. The defense, though, the way it's run, the substitution patterns, those are the core of what we consider the Grinnell system. And I think people get in trouble when they try to 
try to come up with their own system because everybody's kind of scared to to do it the way it's designed. It just seems really there are so many things about it that are so different from conventional basketball that I think many of us try to try to add our own stamp to it. And I think the farther you get away from the the core ideas, the, the more trouble you're going to have in terms of executing it the way it was designed. Yeah, yeah and, and those core yeah, ideas, yeah. and those core ideas basically to me come back to the, the statistics of meeting the statistical numbers uh, right. and the formula for success that, that we talk about and, and how important it is to, uh, to, to meet that. And any tweaks, any changes you make as it evolves, you know, need to be in that direction to be really system. That's not to say that the book can't be used for people who are playing traditional basketball in various ways, but, but to really do the system, I think that that was our, that was our direction. And, and maybe there will be other ways you can do it defensively. I don't know what they are. I mean, we've, we've all talked about a few minor tweaks, but the whole goal of course is to quote, get a lot more shots than your opponent, a lot more shots. Sure. Most of us, it's 20 to 30 more shots or 35 more shots per game than your opponents and not be focused on field goal percentage disparity. It's shot disparity that, and that's why the emphasis on offensive rebounding and turnovers and pace uh, is such a crucial part of it. And it's more difficult to create pace defensively than it is offensively. And you have to make more adjustments defensively. They're both important in keeping pace. But that's why all of that, uh, that you know, that fits together and, and what the system is to, to Doug and I and, and some of us dinosaurs, <laughs> as you say, perhaps in, 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 in the way we do it. Yeah, I think that, that hits the nail on the head. Yeah. Uh, that you, you, a lot of people just don't want to run the trapping system defensively the way it's designed uh, because they think, well, I, I love the system, but I just don't want to give up so many layups. And I understand that, but the fact is you can't force turnovers if you're not trapping the ball, period. Now, you may be trapping after the first dribble or you may be trapping in certain situations a little bit differently than Grinnell does it, which is right off the first pass. Right. But bottom line, if you're not trapping the ball consistently and forcing uh, the ball handler into making some tough decisions, uh, you really can't create the shot disparity that Gary talked about. Mike, that, what are you that, doing? That trapping, oh, sorry. And that trapping has to take place in the full and the half court for the most part, too. I mean, yeah. people who just press and come back to a softer defense, that basically is what separates LMU from uh, Grinnell types or the system as we know it, in that uh, with Westhead, and that was beautiful the way they were, it was fantastic the way they ran, just beautiful. But, and, and their offense was uh, more streamlined probably, but, but they did not, uh, the difference in tempo was because the half court defense was, was softer than, than what, we, what we see as system. Yeah. Hey guys, um, Mike, tell us kind of add in um, what you do at St. Francis on that. Uh, we're both girls coaches, so um, is it is a big part of it? You have to be fearless as a coach, not worried about administration, dads, all that kind of stuff. You're gonna have yeah. you have to be fearless to run it, right? Yeah, you can't worry about what people think because it is so different. Um, the the Everybody get in and we play all 13 to 15 kids, whatever. We have a uniform. If they got a uniform, they're getting in. Um, we, we explain that. We got good administration, good athletic director, good principal. Um, some of the parents don't always agree, but what can they complain? Their kids are getting involved. They're having a good experience. I mean, that's all they, they can ask for. And we've had kids be pretty successful, put up 
good numbers. And again, that's what parents love to see kids averaging 25 a game. It's hard for them to come and complain to you. And the ones that complain are the ones whose kids ought to be, uh, would normally be playing 30 minutes. True. Right. True. <laughs> but we, we've avoided it. A couple of years ago, we had, as you know, a kid that averaged about 25 a game and her, her numbers went up once we went full to it. So he, he didn't have as much to complain about at that point. He realized, you know, it's hard. She had a game of 37 points, 24 boards and, Kind of quiet him a little bit. Thank God it was early in the season. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's start from the beginning on that. And I'm actually promoting your book. I love this book, by the way, by the way. It's my Bible. I just want to tell you guys. And it's an honor, you know, really to be talking to you guys. And I spoke to both of you guys before on how to run the system. Doug, how – Talk about philosophy. What What's the first thing you do? Let's say I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm interested in running the system. What do you recommend for a coach coming in? You and Gary kind of give your perspectives. What's the first steps to starting to run the system in your, in your high school or college, really? You know, I, I'll just tell you how, how I went through it. The process I had was, number one, trying to convince myself that it, it was not a gimmick and that it had a sound uh, basis for it. Now, let's use an example. Right now in the NBA, teams are shooting way more three-point shots than they did 10 years ago. Uh, teams are taking a lot more layups, a lot more threes, and, and relatively few mid-range jump shots. And that's because from a statistical point, they have figured out that the points per possession is gonna be higher when you're taking threes and layups instead of taking mid-range jumpers, okay? So that was the process I went through. I wanted to see, in fact, I remember talking with Coach Arsenal at uh, Grinnell about it the first time I met him. And I said, do you think this would work for women and, and high school girls teams? And he said, yeah, I think it would work even better. And the reason he said was because you're going to force more turnovers defensively because girls typically can't throw uh, full court passes as easily as guys do. So they're going to have to fight through your press every time. And, uh, my next question for him was, well, don't you think you're going to turn the ball over a lot more playing a faster style? Because that had been my experience. And he said, not really, because what ends up happening is because you're, you're trying to create a shot off of first or second pass, and the ball is in the hands of your best ball handler a huge percentage of the time, you're going to be less likely to turn the ball over. And in fact, I, I, did, I did a statistical check after I talked to him, and I, I compared Duke's turnover rate that year with Grinnell's and <laughs> Grinnell's was actually lower than Duke. Uh, Duke had pretty good ball handlers. So I figured if that was the case, then I knew we weren't going to turn it over as much as, as I had I'd been afraid of and that there were sound statistical reasons for taking more threes, playing at a faster pace. And once I, once I ran the numbers, so to speak, I felt a lot more confident in it. And then it was just a matter of convincing the powers that be, you know, the players, my, my, my team leaders and the athletic director. So that's the first step, I think, is learn as much as you can about it. Convince yourself why it works. And then, uh, and then sell, sell that to the people that are going to have a vested interest in it. And you better believe in it, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You have to, but you're not going to believe in it if you don't. If you don't understand why it works, right. it's easy to say, yeah, I really like this style. That's different 
from believing in the style and knowing why it should help you be successful. And frankly, there are some teams that shouldn't be running it. If you don't have depth or you don't have any quickness, you're going to really struggle. And uh, I've had a lot of coaches ask me about that and, and say, I'd love to run it. And the first thing I do is ask them, well, how many kids do you have? And secondly, how, how much quickness do you have? And if you don't have quickness or depth, you, you probably ought to be running a packed defense and walking the ball up the floor so you don't get humiliated. Yeah, to me, you know, uh, convincing yourself and, and, and coming to understand, thoroughly understand it. I, I remember the, the, sum, the spring and the summer before I, we first went to it at Redlands. It was, it was, Grinnell was doing it, and to my knowledge, nobody else was. Uh, and it was a real journey, just understanding it. And at that point, it took me a, another full year to really grasp the totality of things that get, you need to understand. So education first. And, and then convincing yourself, seeing it in your eye as a coach, you know, getting an eye understanding of what it's going to look like and, and truly believing in that. Uh, it, it, once you're to that point, then, you know, then, then you're on your way. But, yeah, you got to have the right situation. Uh, and the, 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 the slogan of a depth trumps, trumps talent is certainly a, a part of system basketball. Uh, and you like to see those big six ten people walking off the bus on the other team. You don't like you, sometimes you don't like to see a bunch of handlers walking off the uh, off the bus on the other team. Um, so it, it is very different. And I, and I think as you know, for those of you that do have the book, probably the first three chapters of the book are really important for you to grasp and understand. Uh, in talking about what the, the philosophy of the system, what the system is and uh, the advantages and disadvantages of it. And Mike got into a little bit of that right there. And there, there are certainly advantages and disadvantages, as there is in everything. If, if there's always plus and minuses you've got to give up to get. And we can get into some of those if you want to later. But, uh, sure. but yes, the, the, the true belief and understanding that if you're really going to go the full boat here and do the defense and, and, and create, try and create the numbers of 25 more plus shots, that, that you need to be all in for it. You can't be halfway, and you can't decide that after a week, well, it doesn't look too good. I think we're gonna to start to tweak it here and tweak it there. You, you, need to, you need to be simple. One of the things I, John Wooden was a great teacher for me. We was close, and we had to talk a couple of times, and, and, and I thoroughly you know, ingested his books and his methods of coaching. And one of his precepts and practice organization was uh, going slow at first and and simple simplicity, keeping it simple and 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 then later moving on and so in that first year, being being just the core, getting just the core of it and understanding this, it's such an important thing. And then the evolution for all of us it happens as you move forward and making subtle tweaks here. But as long as you're moving toward those that the goal of a lot more shots, mm -hmm. uh, you're you're still playing system basketball. You know, and I, let me add this too to what Gary said. I I think if you if you want to really understand the system as a as as part of the process of buying into it and believing in it enough as a coach to be able to implement it, start with that question. Just ask yourself, okay, my goal is to create 25 more shots than the other team. Starting from a blank piece of paper, write down every idea you can think of about how you would accomplish that. 
And I'll bet you, you're going to come up with something that's pretty close to what the system is as we describe it. The, the whole point of what we do is to create more shots. And, and if you do that mental exercise, I'll bet you'll come away from that process feeling a lot more confident. And one other thing that, that I know helped me a lot to buy into it and believe in it was I got a video, a couple of game videos from Gary initially. And uh, I went to see Grinnell play. So I had a visual, a mental picture of what it should look like when it was being executed well. And, uh, and that, was, that was in my head as I tried to implement the style in practice and try to get the, the feeling of that tempo so that I, I had some idea that we were running at the speed that it was designed to be run at. I don't know, Mike, if that was kind of what your experience was like, too, because I know you came to it a little later and did a lot of the research yourself, too. Yeah, I've got the book, um, and Doug won't mention, but he has a great series out. I think you can still get on Round Ball. Uh, it's a four four DVD series that really was helpful. Um, that covered one was on the fast break, one was on the defense, um, one was half court offense. So there was a there was a fourth one too. Doug yeah, was the fourth one was philosophy or just general concepts. Yeah, those those are really good. I attended. Uh, different running gun clinics. The first one was up in uh, out of the uh, Jackson, Michigan, mm -hmm. and then at North Central. Studied it, and I actually went down and um, I got a tape from Doug's game, a tape of one of Gary's Redlands games somebody had sent me. So I had the visual. Then I actually went to a town called Gladsbrook, Rhinebeck, a small town of Iowa. A guy named Bruce Bailey had run it. I drove into town, got a hotel room. Uh, it was a school about a hundred rural. They had set like a combined points uh, record the year before. So I wanted to see, well, how does this look at a high school? You know, your fear is, well, I got to have stud athletes, nothing against these kids, but they were rural farm kids, um, not super athletic, you know, but he stuck to it. I watched him scrimmage. I watched him practice and I'm, you know, I said, as I said, the town was so small. I went out for a run that night. There was no sidewalks in the town. Now, I don't live in a big town, but <laughs> that convinced me right there. Besides all the other, I'm like, if they can do it, um, let's give it a try. We did get away from it after the first run. We did it back in 2000, <clears throat> excuse me, 11. Because as Doug said, personnel-based, uh, lacking quickness, um, I got to be politically correct with this one. We had three kids starting that were um, probably better suited for our, our powder puff football line than they were to run the system. So we got away from it for a year and we went back a couple of years ago and we ran it for the last two years now. So we've had three years in on it. I think you, if you look at the men's teams, particularly that that have run it um and really only one of them you would say is is above average probably even athletically uh i don't think you can say that grinnell is above average athletically certainly we weren't at redlands and and greenville is the only one probably that is yeah. that is running it that has above average ath athletes it's it's just athletes that will buy in that are reasonably quick and that's one of the things about our level at NAIA and Division Three is that rather un unlike perhaps some Division One teams, we have probably more good three-point shooters on the floor 
at the same time than some of the D1s do, uh, or a higher level may have. And, uh, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's that combination of things that, and the buy-in, obviously, understanding it conceptually, helping, helping the players to understand. You've got to believe it totally and, and be ready to go full bore yourself, and then helping the players through practice and teachable moments again and again understand why you're making these risks and gambling and playing without such fear and pushing it so fast and rebounding the way you do and understanding how offensive rebounding and turnovers and pace are so important and helping them understand during the flow of practice. Uh, and you got to do that in an uncontrolled way, but you've got to be a teacher in a different way. You can't stop everything because in the system, you gotta, they got to play. And the only way they're going to learn to go fast in conversion from offense to defense and defense to offense is let them go for those short bouts. It's important from, from an short bouts, not long bouts. And uh, you, it's, it's, a, it's a play on words to me. But one of the things that I loved about and why I adopted the system in the first place was I thought we'd always control the way we played the game at Redlands to a degree by switching in denial and so forth. But this upped the ante a whole lot in the way we controlled the way the game was played. But the ambiguity is there that you got to give up control as a coach in, in the micromanagement of your team in order to do this. So, you know, that's... That, that was important, grasping that. Hey, guys, you want, you want to talk about goals? Uh, and I'll give you – Mike, you and I are probably similar. My goals uh, – and people always laugh at when I give them the goals. We want 70 shots, Doug. We want 33s. Uh, we want we, – we only go a plus 20 um, shot differential. And then we want to force 25 turnovers. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I also put down, we're looking to get 25 free throw attempts. So those are our goals. Talk about goals. Um, we don't always reach 70, but we always reach 33 point shots. And there, I've been under a lot of criticism because all my kids can shoot the three, but they're not all really good at it yet. Mm -hmm. um, but I still believe in the three point shot. I'm, and even my head of school says, coach, you gotta go, he's old school. Man, you shoot too many threes. I said, well, look at the percentages on huddle, okay? It's higher from three than it is mid-range. So talk about numbers for me. Uh, help me out a little bit. <laughs> you know, I, I agree that um, the three-point shot is one of the core things in the system that makes it work. And I didn't understand that at first. I, I, I accepted it, and we did it. We took half our shots from three right from the beginning. But I didn't really understand why that was what there was about that that made for better offense. And the NBA is proving that now. Villanova is proving that now. Uh, you know, you see teams that rely heavily on the three point shot, assuming you have some basic level of ability there. But the reason why it's important is because it, it allows you to have the option of creating a shot early in the possession and therefore speeding up the tempo. And the second thing is, and this is not as obvious, is if you take a lot more threes and create shots early in the possession, you're more likely to get a second shot. And a really overlooked part of offense is second shot opportunities. Right. If you can create a second shot, you're either gonna get a put back layup or you can kick it back out to the three point shooter for a second, we call it second chance three. 
And the thing that convinced me of that was in talking with Coach Arsenal and hearing him at clinics, he, he said that one year he charted every single ch second chance three-point op opportunity they had. And they were trying to get 35% offensive rebounds. So 35, uh, over a third of the time, they were going to get a second shot off of a rebound in their offense. And he preferred that to be a three-point shooter, the guy who just shot the three. And so he said, when we took that second chance three, I charted what our percentage was. Now he said our normal percentage was around 30, 34, 35% from the three-point line. But on second chance threes, when we missed a shot, kicked it right back out to the shooter at the top of the key for a, an inside out pass, all the things that make for a really efficient three-point shot, uh, he said we shot 60% from the arc. Well, that's a 1. That's a 1.8 uh, offensive efficiency rating. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah very good. And and so uh, the numbers, the formula numbers, really do uh, sort of take care of themselves if you just follow them. So our our uh, college women, uh, in a nutshell, we were trying to get 90 shots, 45 threes, uh, 33 33 turnovers defensively. 40% uh, offensive rebound because we, we felt like women could get a little bit higher percentage of the offensive rebounds, which indeed they, they did. And then uh, we were only looking at plus 15 shot differential. And the reason our number was lower there was because we had a little more of a turnover problem than I expected. I, I said a while ago that we thought it would turn it over less, but we didn't. So um, we, we turned it over a little bit too many times to create a plus 25 shot differential, but plus 15 we felt was doable. So those numbers are the blueprint or the formula of the system based upon some research that Grinnell had already done. We just stuck with them and that, that sort of mapped out for us how to make sure that game in and game out we were achieving system foundational goals. Yeah, for us it was 25. We, 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 our objective was 25 more shots than the opponent. That shot disparity, 35% of the offensive boards, which we met pretty regularly, and 32 turnovers was a goal that maybe was reaching a little bit high for men's game, but, but we were in that area and exceeded that in one or two years. Um, so, and I would just interject too here that, that you know, talking about offensive rebounding and sending four people to the board, which is what, what we do. And maybe, maybe in one evolution is to send five to the board. Maybe that's the next step. Yeah, that is uh, the next step. But yeah. then, but then you, the, the beauty, though, as Doug explained, is having your guy who just took the shot, who's probably going to take, or the girl who just took the first shot, pr more often than not is going to be your best shooter. And then they get the next shot again. And getting two shots in a row, the percentage really escalates right there. Um, but the game of basketball, one of its beauties, I think, is the variety of style of play. That's, that's a great thing in the game. And the more the game becomes monogamous and just one style of play, the duller it gets. If everybody was running the system, it, it wouldn't be a good thing. Right. I don't think it's a good thing that everybody is packed line necessarily. Uh, packed line defense, you know, and you see a lot of it's, – it's beautiful. It's a great defense. And I love watching, watching Virginia and those kind of teams play. There's a thing of beauty in every aspect of anything done well. It's not so much what you do as how well you do it. 
And, uh, but for that to be successful, you know, you're not going to send four people to the border. You know, you may send one. I watch Virginia play, and sometimes they got one and a half or two going to the board until very late in the game. But I want, look at teams like Duke, for instance. I thought they were one of the first teams to, to start at that level to utilize offensive rebounds and kick outs for second chance threes. You see more people doing that, and I think a lot of the evolution of the game overall has, uh, has evolved, as Doug has thoroughly explained here, and the analytics of the three-point shot and the value of taking it to the rim or shooting threes, and the in-between shot is becoming less and less and less. It's a big topic still for some people, but, you know, and, you know that, that analytics playing back to one of the things that we talked about amongst us early on was money, money ball came out. The baseball analytics thing came out about yes. the same time. And there's a great uh, carryover right there in terms of bucking tradition. Uh, and uh, we're, we're still bucking tradition, obviously. <laughs> and that may go on for a long time. But there's a lot of beautiful ways to play the game. And this is a beautiful way, too. For some people, it's not beautiful. For most, though, I would say most people, you, you, get a, you get feedback, but you get lots of feedback in the plus, how much they enjoy watching the game this way. So uh, it's, it's, uh, basketball is unique in that way. I think a lot of people don't understand that any style that you choose to play, there's trade-offs. The system isn't perfect. Obviously, you're going to give up a higher field goal percentage. But the trade-off is, the compensation is, you're going to force more turnovers. And it's really, you know, you're giving up better shots, but you're getting back the ball more often where you don't even allow a shot. And so you give a little to get a little. And it's just, a, it really is a more of a, a matter of, do you have the personnel to run it? And secondly, do you, uh, do you have the, the personal philosophy to run it? Well, I'm more of a risk taker personality. I like being different. I like taking chances. I don't mind it. But there are some people that are much, uh, I say Tony Bennett is a great example. He grew up in a household where everything was pretty, you know, be careful, take great shots, don't give up easy shots ever. Right. And when you've been raised that way, you're not going to change when you're 30, 40 years old and say, I'm going to, I'm going to now play a, a system that the, the risks uh, seem a little bit more daunting. Uh, it's partly personality, and if you have the personality to do it, you do it. And I, I've always remembered the quote that Westhead had when he learned his offense from Sonny Allen. Uh, Sonny Allen taught Westhead how to run the fast break because he, he won a national championship at Old Dominion University in Division II back in the 70s. And, and he heard, Westhead heard Sonny Allen speak at a clinic, and he said, I came away from that, and, and Sonny said to me, uh, coach, you got to be a little bit crazy to do this. And Westhead said to himself, it's like a light bulb went on. And he said, well, I'm a little bit crazy. <laughs> perfect, perfect fit from a temperament standpoint. And I, I don't doubt that you have to have the temperament too. Uh, and maybe Gary and I and Mike and the other people that run it, we just, we just prefer to play the game that way. And as Gary said, uh, you know, Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I'd love to help you get game results this season. Check out a free trial of my Pure Sweat training app on the Google Play and App Store today. Hello, this is Craig Reed, owner and CEO of Corny Board Aids. We specialize in providing coaching aids and equipment for the basketball coach. 
We are also home of the Corny Board, the original sideline coaching board. I want to recommend Championship Vision Podcast. It is a great way to get insights into what other great coaches and leaders do in their programs. Kevin Furtado brings a great tool to coaches with this podcast. Thanks, Coach Furtado. You preferred to control how the game was being played, how your opponent was going to be allowed to play by the way that you played. And I think that's part of the temperament. Some coaches just, they just don't want to give up anything easy. And it's that mentality that may mean that you're better suited to a, a conventional half court pack it in kind of game. And there's, there's been a lot of people been successful that way. There've been a lot of people been successful playing aggressive basketball, aggressive football, aggressive soccer, aggressive hockey. There's a, there's a lot of room in the game to play to fit your personality. Mike, what are you doing? Uh, what's your goals, Mike? Um, what are you doing at the high school level? We're 80 field goal attempts, okay. 35, 35 threes, 35% uh, offensive rebounds, uh, 30 turnovers, and then um, plus 15. As Doug said, we have a problem right now with the turnovers with our young, our youth. Um, I would add to what Doug and Gary said. I think the biggest, well, on the girls' side, is the offensive rebound. I think that's where you can make the most difference. In fact, next job was switching one of my assistants' role to the game during the game. All he's going to do is make sure that we got eight feet in the paint every shot we take. Because this year, I went back and watched every possession was over two thousand with this time we've got. <laughs> and we did not do a good job at that. So I'm thinking if we did, we could get, like Coach Porter said, even up near 40, which leads to even better, more efficiency on offense, regardless of the turnovers. And anybody can do that. It doesn't take a great skill. As Gary has taught and Doug has taught, you get in the wedge, you wedge the kid in there. Anybody, anybody, uh, basketball skill or not, you can go in and get a rebound for us, kick it out to some kid who can knock it down. I think that's an overlooked part of the system, how big offensive rebounds can have an effect on on it, on its success. Yeah, we were actually 41%, which is pretty good. Of course, I had a big six-foot girl. It always helps when you have a little size, though. But she kind of helped us on the offensive end, hindered us on the defensive end. So we don't always have perfect players, right, guys? So how do you take – I have a quick team this year. I have one big girl. So, Doug, I want you to talk about offense because I run your offense. We're, we're four out, dribble drive. Well, I, I utilize your system, and, I want, and we run a numbered break. And then, Gary, I want you to talk about your, your defensive system. So, Doug, start with you on, like, what are you doing now at Bethel? What are you doing now uh, with your offensive system? Well, um, this year, this past year, we didn't have the depth to run the system. And we got into exactly the situation I hoped that we would not get into. Didn't have a lot of team quickness, and we didn't have the depth. And there was a significant drop-off, I mean, really significant, from our bottom five to seven kids. So realistically, we decided to just continue to recruit and find the depth that we needed to to run the style this coming year. And, and as I've thought through, okay, which direction do we, we need to go offensively from a system standpoint, I, I've tried all the different approaches to running a break. We've tried the Loyola uh, offense. 
And the, the, I think the benefit of that is it's very simple. It's a numbered break. You run to the same spots every time. What you do from those spots is very basic and, and clear cut. Uh, I've run the Grinnell stuff and, and both the way Gary describes it and the way Grinnell does it, which is slightly different, not a lot different, but some key, key changes that Gary made. Tried that for a while, and I always reverted back to just a basic four-out approach with a low post player, two players in the corners, and then a point guard with the ball and a trailer coming down the floor. So the, the core concept is really simple, and I think this is, this is uh, sort of um, something that's a common feature of all of the, the, the system fast breaks, whether Grinnell, LMU, or or the Olivet, as people call it, Olivet break. And that is get the ball in the lane off, off transition. Uh, you know, we, we push the ball to, with the point guard and we're trying to get the ball, get her to get to the rim. Once you do that, you're going to force defensive help if you've got a point guard who's any good at all. And we try to put a scorer at that position. Every good point guard we've ever had, and we've had five All-Americans at some level, up first team all the way to honorable mention. But all of them, were converted two guards, every one of them. And they could get to the basket and knew what to do when they got there. And if you have a, a threat in that position and you can get the ball in the lane, defense has got two choices. They either help or they don't help. If they don't help and you've got a, a player who can get to the, get to the basket one-on-one, -on -one, if they can't score, you get the wrong player there. So find somebody on your team that can do that. And if you don't have anybody like that, I guess you got to go to plan B or plan C, but uh, that's the core idea. And if you get in there and they do help, somebody's wide open. And then all you got to do is teach that two guard how to, how to be just unselfish enough to pass it to a wide open player in the direction the help came from. And that's really, if you can get that idea across, push the ball hard enough to get there in transition, create a one-on-one -on -one or a one-on-two situation, and then make the right decision under those circumstances. That's the essence of what we're doing out of four out. That's the essence of what Westhead was doing out of, a, out of a, his break at LMU. That's the essence of what Grinnell does. All of those, they do it in different ways. They have players in different areas, but that's the core idea is it's point guard uh, centered. And it's just like a spread offense in football. You gotta have a quarterback who can make it go. And if you have that, then it tends to make everything else work better. And do you run, um, like let's say for example, I have a big girl inside. Mm -hmm. This is kind of, it's my dilemma, but a lot of people don't feel sorry for me. So um, sometimes we do better when she's not in the game, we're going five out. Cause basically, like you said, we're driving kick, we're pass cut, driving kick. First open shot, we're looking, we're look very aggressive. But when she comes in, we're definitely looking to hit her, and then we're running cutters off of her. Sometimes it slows us down. Give me some help with that if you have a, a big girl and a bunch of good guards. Well, all we ever did with big girls, and we, we had some pretty good ones who shot a very high percentage. And the way they did it was we, we always ran, them, ran the floor to the rim with them and looked for throw-ahead layups. That was number one, because that girl is the front of your press. And so they're in a position as, as somebody on the front that whenever you get a ball, get the ball back, you're running her to the rim and looking for her as a first option. Secondly, if your point guard's getting in the lane with the ball 
and the, the defensive post player helps, then you make a little pocket pass to that post player, and now she's got a layup in that situation. Right. If the defense is packed in, you attack, but you really can't get – realistically, you can't get the ball into the scoring area uh, off a of transition. Just swing the ball to the backside. We run the post player to the weak side block typically, you know, rim and weak side block area. If we can't get in the lane with the point guard, we just swing the ball quickly to the weak side wing and dump it inside. And the post player in that situation is really in a position to seal up and, and post, and you just go quick swing, dump it inside, and then you've got a one-on-one -on -one with maybe a little bit of a, a, an edge there, depending on how you're being defended. I think those are three, three real easy ways to use, a, use the post player, depending on the situation, either early in the break with the throw-ahead layup, uh, in the middle of the break, getting the point guard in the lane, forcing the post defender to help, and then dumping it to your post player. Or if the defense is packed in, sort of a late break situation, swing the ball and dump it inside of the post player. All three of those are really easy to run, and you have to run minimal offense to get a touch for that big girl. Hey, guys, you all think it's – I find it – I find offense is the most overcoached part of the game. I think particularly at the girls' level – um, I, I, for a long time, ran a lot of like flex and things like that. A lot of, you know, control type stuff. And we never got a good shot. <laughs> well, we did, but you know, um, you think offense is definitely overcoached and it should be actually undercoached and really focus more on, you know, just getting the right shot, teaching kids what shot selection is all about. Is it the most overcoached part of the game? In the system, it's definitely not. I think it's definitely wide open. Very likely it is. I, I you know, speaking strictly from our standpoint, I, I, I tend to be one that focuses a little more on defense. And so we purposely try to simplify our offense as much as possible and add very few uh, dead balls, you know, special plays. We have a couple usually, but that's about it. Uh, and, uh, and try to get the, the shots in the flow created by what we do defensively. And, and very likely it is. I mean, you look at some of the great offensive teams historically, you know, Indiana and their great runs and the motion offense, pretty simple, pretty standard, not a lot of different stuff. Uh, no, it's slow tempo, but Virginia runs their Virginia blocker mover stuff, not much else. Uh, and there's different ways. Are you a mile wide and an inch deep, or are you an inch? You know the, the, that 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 philosophy. Do you do you try and do a lot of different things so so, or do you try and do one thing really well? Sure. Uh, you know, and that applies to any level of basketball. And I tend to be one where try to try to do fewer things and do them as well as you possibly can. But that's not to say that the other way can't be successful too, Kevin, because you know Dean Smith did quite a few different things at North Carolina very successfully. Uh, so, but often I think that what you're saying here is that you can tend to overcoach and overcontrol and micromanage the offense yeah. to a degree that I wouldn't want to ever deal with. And I think that's the key word is micromanage. And I, I think in coaching, there's this tendency we all have to, to overcontrol things because we have this illusion that the more time I spend telling players what to do, the better, the more efficient we're going to be on offense. And that's why you see coaches, you know, when I started coaching back in, in Neanderthal days, you weren't allowed to stand up. You sat on the bench. If you stood up, you got a technical. And that's kind of the philosophy I grew up under. 
and now you, you know coaches are up not just up but they're pacing the sideline constantly calling out instructions calling out plays and I believe that there's there's this illusion or this belief among coaches in a lot of philosophies that that the more you control what's going on on the core the more efficient you're going to be and I, I just don't believe that I want to teach players how to play how to how to execute in different situations and and accept that they're not always going to do exactly what I would have done in that situation. Uh, but there's some, there, there's a fringe benefit of that is that they're going to gain confidence in, in learning to believe that they can read a situation and execute um, in that situation effectively. And, and if you're, if you're trying to coach to the extent that you're saying you, you can't take that shot, you can't take that shot, yeah, there are better and worse shots, but there's also something to be gained from giving players confidence that if you feel like you're open, you need to be shooting the basketball. And it doesn't matter if it's after one pass or four. If you have a good shot, it's still a good shot. And uh, I think that's that, that tendency to over-control and think that you're really benefiting your team that much when you do that, I think that's, an, that's really an illusion. It's not necessarily true unless you're a Tony Bennett or somebody that's just such a great coach and such a great teacher that you really are giving added benefit by all that wisdom that you're imparting. I just don't have that much wisdom. So I say, get to the rim, create something and find an open player. That's, that's about how complicated it needs to be most of the time. Right. Less is better. Right. Right. Um, but I think people see a lot of coaches on the sideline on TV and so forth everybody's playing for the camera and, but I see a lot of coaches at the high school level standing up on the sideline not sitting down so I think you're exactly right Doug um that mantra is a big one less is more yeah rather than more is less, less <laughs> more is a huge mantra for for uh this style a lot of styles yeah I, I think that's a good uh, I think that's a good uh something to teach coaches right from the beginning right I think uh, less is better it's hard because we all think we have to do more Gary, what about your defense? I really want to study what you, you do on defense. And has your vision changed over the years seeing all, what everybody's doing now? Or is it basically your premise is still the same on the defense? Again? Well, yeah, you, it evolves. And what you end up doing, I think, uh, is, uh, is a response evolution to what, how, how people attack you. You know, and what what things you find the adjustments subtle subtle adjustments within 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 your defense. Uh, it's not like when when things are going bad. What, what is your adjustment going to be? Is it going to be to put another whole new press in? Is it going to be to make major wholesale changes or get better at the specifics that you do? And that's normally. And Doug and I have talked at length about this issue. That 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 the the when things are not, and when all doesn't go for everybody, there's always hard hard times when things are not going well and all of that. And and for basically, it's to get better at technique. And maybe I spent too much time with technique, uh, but to me. Yes, it, it is first, it's about all out effort, teaching people how to play hard. The, the idea of full, full, literally full effort and, and coaching that way and teaching and giving them opportunities and practice with very short segments of time, no more than 25, 30 seconds, up, back, up and stop so that they can experience the, the feeling of going full out and playing without fear defensively and gambling and your ability to praise them when they gamble and don't get it uh 
And then, yes, it's, there's great structure in the system. Some people see it and don't see that structure for quite a while, but offensively and defensively, there's great structure and freedom within that to attack. And there's structure within how you close on a the techniques that you close on a trap on, the technique that you use in the gaps, where your foot position is, how you play the safety position at the back, what your stance is, how you bluff and retreat. There's a lot of specific things that are taught within that and, and, and that, that make, uh, make what you do more effective. But the idea, the terms, playing without fear, relentlessly coming at people, understanding the concept of percentages, that if you get, uh, if you get uh, out of 10 possessions, if you can create three turnovers in 10 every, 10 every 10th possession, you're gonna be very successful. You're gonna hit your numbers. You may or you may not hit that, but understanding that there's going to be failure, and hopefully, you know, one of the precepts of this defense is is that if, if we get one or two good opportunities out of steel, we've had a successful successful defensive series. Even if they score, even if they score a layup, it's not that we're giving up layups, but that we we're taking those gambles. And the and the personnel you're talking we're talking about putting the the front end of the press normally your biggest player and that's what we did at redlands too the front of the press was where our biggest least mobile player was and we wanted uh, we wanted our it wasn't always our quickest but it was our best anticipators usually at the back of the press and their ability to gamble and go get it there's a little bit of difference between the men's and women's game in that regard but but that but the back of the press is a key part of it and you know you go clear back to the ucla presses when wooden started pressing and 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 the success that they had a guy named erickson at the back of their press that that came up with most of their turnovers and uh, and so uh we we all there's different ways to do it and but but uh, those that that's the big thing i think in teaching technique and whether it's the press the full court press in your half court your half court. But one of the great things about this style of play is it forces your, your opponents can't run a regular offense against it. By and large, the great percentage of teams will attack you in a similar way. They have to do it if they're in the half court, particularly, they're going to attack you in a somewhat similar way. Uh, one of the really good defensive teams in the country, I think, is St. Mary's, the women's uh, high school team here in Stockton area and, and they their half court defense is is basically system defense they're sending two to the ball all over the place they're highly ranked every year uh so and, and as men mentioned earlier I think there is greater potential for higher numbers of turnovers in the women's game because because of the shorter court that you you have to play on uh in the men's game basically what what we're teaching is two to the ball two trap how you trap is very important high hand run into your teammate and so forth take away reversal passes because you always want the ball moving toward the basket you're defending you want the ball moving in that direction we want a 10 or 12 second possession maximum and the other two players basically are in gaps between there's three other players and there's two in the women's game you'd probably be more likely in your press to, to leave the weak side most player open and take away the two near lanes. And you're teaching people to, to, read, to, to read the quality of traps and how much you gamble and all of those kind of things. And you'll find people, I think, when you play this way, once they understand that you, and you, they, they see you, hear you, totally encouraging gambling, that you'll find you've got anticipators that you didn't know you had that are better at 
playing that way because they've been taught so differently all this time to be conservative. Don't get out of your realm and, and stay within yourself. And you'll find, just like sometimes you'll find you got more shooters than you thought you had otherwise because they're freedom to shoot. You'll find you got more better anticipators, better defenders in that regard than you thought you might have. And they don't always have to be the quickest guy and the girl on the, on the block. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's a, that's short. I don't know what else, how else you might want me to get into defense, but, but obviously a passion for it helps. Uh, and I've always had that. Actually, one of the things that my background, Doug talked about his background a little bit. My background was influenced early in my coaching career by a guy named Bob Ploppenberg, who yeah. uh, coached at uh, you know, a small school out our way, USIU, but then was with Jerry Tarkanian at UNLV during their great run and Carl, George Carl when they set the record with Gary Payton and those guys in the NBA. He later was a head coach for a short time in a couple of places, but I was greatly influenced and a great friend of mine. And it, basically it, it was a pressure, pressure, defense that denied and switched everything and so that's what I kind of evolved to very early in my career and from that this was kind of a natural step to go one step and become crazy like those talking about with Sonny Allen a little bit and I'm a little bit crazy in that regard and I've been accused of that often so that's if you want me to talk any more specific I could talk all day on defense but uh, <laughs> that's it in a nutshell <laughs> yeah. yeah and I have of course Shows what a junkie I have. I have Bob's book right back there, man. The SOS. Right, and right. Talk about talk about a tremendous video. I mean, I think every coach should have the Kloppenberg SOS. Please study that, man. The techniques and everything there is unbelievable. Is there a better book than that? It's a great book, and and you know. <laughs> We, we love closing lanes. <laughs> we love closing lanes, switching everything, which we still do. That's the best way, I think, to defend OBs under the basket. If you're really solid at it, you've got to teach it how you get floor position on the screen or exact vision and all of those kind of things. But, uh, but it's, a great, it's a great book. And, uh, and in denial defense, you know, with a denial press, the up deny or, how, or off deny, whatever, you're, that's what you're teaching is how, how we taught, taught all those things. I think a, a core concept of defensively and offensively to system basketball is is just the mindset attack. <laughs> now, if you're attacking, you're going to run the break. You're going to go to the rim hard off the dribble. You're going to look for quick shots in transition. Defensively, if you're attacking, you're going to double team the ball everywhere on made shots, missed shots, half court, out of bounds. They get off the bus, you're, you're attacking them. Sure. And that's why when we created the videos uh, about the same time that Gary and I wrote the book, I, I put the video set uh, together that you guys had mentioned earlier. And I was thinking about a title for it. And, and it just struck me one day, the perfect title is uh, Attack Basketball. And so that's what we named the four video set because in every way possible, we were just trying to illustrate how system basketball is the most aggressive way that you can play. And uh, so that was a, that was a good title for it. And I, I think it's, it's, something out here 10 years later i still believe that that's the core of system ball and for us probably the word was relentless mm -hmm. uh keep coming at people you can't just do it till it didn't work real good but it's relentless again and again and again and again and those are life i mean i think sometimes we forget we're teaching life skills and girls i know this my girls love playing and aggressive they, they always say it this is fun coach isn't that what we're all about as teachers, right? We want to make this fun. And Doug, Gary, and Mike, I guarantee your crowds love watching you guys. I mean, isn't that what basketball is meant to be? But, again, it's played at different realms. But 
Fun's a key word, right? <laughs> Even yeah. at the college level. Yeah, yep, it is. Yep. Hey, Mike, tell me what you... Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I've been working hard to build an online basketball school to help players and coaches. I'd love for you to check it out at puresweatbasketball.com. Hi, I'm Alex Stevenson, athletic director and girls basketball coach at Dodd City. I've been at Dodd City for seven years. During those seven years, we've won seven district championships, been to six regional tournaments and three state championship games. I'm a huge fan of this podcast, what it brings and the platform that we're able to share knowledge and wisdom on and, and grow as coaches. You do. Uh, take what Doug, what Doug and Gary says. How do you do it at St. Francis? Did you combine some of those theories that they talked about or schemes? It, it, we've done it the way, you know, Doug and Gary have talked about. In fact, I've um, been talking with Gary this offseason defensively. I think, as I said now, I don't know, Doug may disown me on this one, but we're um, it's about six, seven games left a year. We tweaked and went to one, two, two, three-quarter court press on made or miss. Um, and actually, our possessions only went down uh, six less possessions a game. Our shot attempts were not greatly affected. The pace was not there. We still we ended up third in the state in steals with a 22 a game with a very young, inexperienced team lacking basketball IQ. I just felt we needed to do it um, because we lack basketball IQ. Um, we could make up for it with effort. We got a lot of steals from the backside, chasing it down after, not giving up. We keep trapping it in the front court. Uh, and right when they cross, we try to get a couple of traps per possession. We want the ball back in 12. Now, hopefully it's off a miss or a steal, but if it's taking it out quick, as, as uh, the old LMU teaches, get in in three seconds, let's go down and shoot ourselves in 12. Let's get up and down, get the number of possessions up, go rebound it, and repeat it. And uh, uh, just to piggyback off what Doug and Gary said, I think you really got to be careful in system. The more you make kids think, the less speed they'll move with. And they got to have that fearlessness. They're not overthinking. I got to be here. I got to be here. Just do something. Do something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, Gary. Yeah, Gary, don't you agree? Um, and I don't know if you can see my board here. Can you see it? Can I see the board all right? Yeah, right. Hey, don't you agree? Most of our, our best, I think, our best traps are in, in the front court. So we're pressure. We don't. We don't get a lot of stuff here. We get it on vertical traps down here after the half court line um, in recovery. That's what I try to teach is in recovery. Isn't that where most the steals come? Tell me if I'm wrong on that one. No, no. I think that's one of the undertop parts of, uh, of, of, of defensive basketball is, is transition, how you get out of the press and recover and then retrap and the angles that you've got. And, and even when a team really does break you in the middle of the floor, how you are recovering. And if you're recovering right, uh, in a, in a, some type of an organized fashion, although sometimes it doesn't look very organized, granted, but you have concepts that you're trying to recover with. You're running through those passing lanes and you're getting more, you're getting more turnovers as you recover. So, yeah, I think that all of it's important, but I think that part of it many times is overlooked and not spent enough time on how you, once they break your press, and, and how do you prefer your press to be broken with a pass or a dribble? 
you know, and indicate sometimes how you want to trap. And the angle is you want to come at people with, the, with your traps. But, but yes, the recovery and those retraps uh, at half court uh, and in the, in the, in the uh, front court is, uh, is, is really important. Um, so, yeah, that we, we talk in the, in the book about uh, chaser lanes and lock-on lanes and the role of the safety and all of those kinds of things. That's a, that is a, an important part. I, that's one thing. The first year we did it, the very first year, I didn't have a clue of the best way to do that. <laughs> and uh, we figured it out to a degree. I'm sure there's better ways than the way we do it, but, but that's, what we, that's the way we tried to do it in some type of organized fashion. Yeah, and Doug, you have to you have to be aggressive, right? You have to tell your team, "Hey, you got to go for it, right?" Yeah, you fly I think the biggest the biggest um, pushback we probably get as uh, coaches who run the system from people who may be interested in it but don't fully buy in is they're concerned about giving up too many layups and uh, playing a defense in such a way that you you make yourself vulnerable. And uh, you know, I, I just. I, like Gary, I, 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 the first year I was questioning how best press to accomplish system goals. And at Christmas time, I thought, well, maybe we should get away from the trapping press and just do a run and jump. But the reality is that if you play a run and jump or any kind of softer defense, it, unless you're running the, the one, two, two, three quarter court like Mike does. Actually, you know, that's one of the most effective uh, variations, I think. If you're going to do anything that was a little safer, that might be it. Because I remember back in the 70s, uh, Thornridge High School out of uh, Chicago with Quinn Buckner as one of their players won two straight state championships running the – it's called 1-2-2 ball press. So it can be a pretty effective press. It's just right. – it's a slower press. Teams, teams that want to attack that press can slow down and pass the ball guard to guard, guard to guard. and it, it tends to take time off the clock if a team is disciplined and because you don't have two people on the ball all the time. But in general, when I, I was my first year of the system, I thought maybe we should go away from trapping and then try to run a, a run and jump press. And there may be times when you can do that, but I think as a core philosophy, we, when you teach kids the concept, hey, the two closest players, go get the ball. And that's about how complicated it is a lot of times. Sure. And the next player on the backside take away the reversal pass, as Gary mentioned. And the other two players, the deeper two players, play the gaps. So trap, gap, and lag are the way we, we describe it. And, and remember, your goal is not to give up. Your goal is not to avoid giving up layups. Your goal is to get the ball. And you can't do that if, you, if you're continually thinking, well, we're playing – in such a way that we're exposing the basket. Well, you may be, but they still got to get the ball there and they got to go through a minefield to do that. You are going to give up some layups, but if you can think of, think outside the box a little bit, just imagine how many points you're getting back by creating a faster tempo and by uh, getting the ball in a steal situation or off a quick shot and pushing it before their defense can get themselves set. And if you can create an up and down tempo, you're going to create things by doing that. Whereas if you want to play, if you really want to not, not give up layups, yeah, you can back everybody inside the three-point line and make them attack you that way. But you're never going to get a fast break. I mean, very rarely, unless you just get lucky. Uh, it just Remember, it's a system, and the defense fuels the offense. The, the, the defense 
is the rocket fuel that makes it go. Yeah, that's so true. Um, hey, my last, I know you guys got to go. Uh, can you give me just one key to running a system practice? I know I have certain beliefs, but and, uh, Mike, I want you to jump in too. When you're running your practice, what are, and I know, Doug, you guys are all going to probably say, hey, you got to get in the 103s and things like that. What other keys are for running a really good system practice? Because you better run your practice like how you're going to play, correct? Definitely. You better, you better do it with tempo. It's not like a regular practice. And I'm, you know, I've stole everything from Doug on practices. I've bugged him plenty of times on practice. So I'll let him, he can speak more eloquently on that. But I think the biggest thing from high school is don't, you can't, you can't treat it. You can't practice. You better practice chaotic. You know, we blast music. Uh, we're in a teaching segment um, during the shooting, during fundamental work. You still got to do fundamental work. Scrimmage a lot, short bouts, as Coach Coach Smith said. Um, it, yeah, again, it just kind of changes everything you might have learned on how to run a practice. Be more efficient in less time. Get them in, get the work done, and and get out. You're not going to go two and a half. There's no way they can go two and a half. We're an hour and a half later in the year. We're down to about an hour 15, maybe even an hour come end of the year. Yeah, for me, it's short bouts. If I had to say one thing, it'd be keep your bouts short, and that way you've got the opportunity to give them the opportunity to go full out. Under feeling how, how it feels to play full out, go to the traps hard, go to the leg hard, and, and make decisions quickly, quick decisions and mentally, mental sharpness and physical sharpness through short bouts. And, and I would say that the, the, the concept that we keep coming back to um, is the idea of just trying to get better at one thing every day. And when I say one thing, I mean one situation. When you run the break, you can run it off a made shot, off a missed shot, off a steal. Now, can, are you good at doing that? Are you good at running it off a score? If the other team scores, you got to get the ball in quick. You got to sprint your lanes. You got to attack the other end and, and be able to score off of that. And so our practice plan emphasis of the day might be fast break off a steal or fast break off a score or whatever it happens to be. We're going to work on one thing a day. And we're going to get really good at it. And related to that is the idea that we're going to, we're going to polish that one situation. And really, by, by the end of the, the preseason, it's really one day, one day a week we're working on fast break. One day a week we're working on press. One day a week we're working on the end of the break. And one day a week we're working on the half-court trapping defense. So that's kind of how we break it up. But we're going to work on one of those things every day. But when you work on those things, don't make the mistake that a lot of us make as young coaches and thinking that you can just drill it and drill it and, and, and do a lot of technique work. And that's going to actually carry over into a live situation. Figure out if you're, say, running, uh, uh, running uh, you're working on your fast break that day, Figure out a variety of ways that you can do a live five-on-five -five situation to set up your fast break. And then, as Gary says, keep it to about 25 seconds maximum and go up and down and make it live. 
And you're going to find out pretty quickly what you need to work on and what they're not doing well. And if they're, say, for example, they're not really running the floor hard. And it's pretty obvious that they're not doing it. Okay, well then stop, go back five on O, toss the ball off the board, take out your stopwatch, and see how fast they can get the ball from one end to the other and create a shot with no defense. And then go back to five on five and see if there's carryover. In other words, make it realistic. At some point, you know, you can drill to death, but you're not getting better. You've got to make sure they can do it in a live situation, and you've got to focus on one thing a day. And I think most of us, we say, well, I've got to spend half my practice on offense and half on defense. Well, you could if you had a two to two and a half hour practice, but we don't because we'll wear them out doing that. So I think one thing a day, as realistic and live as possible to polish that one concept, and you'll walk off the floor feeling like, hey, we really got better at this today. Yeah, as you said, Gary, right? Less is more, or less is better. Less is more, yeah. Less is more. That was that was one of Westhead's mantras too, you know. Mm -hmm. Right. But hey, just before you guys go, you know, Mike and I are at small schools, and your school school might be bigger than mine, Michael. But um, you know, we have a lot of kids with different types of skill levels, so we have to put in a lot of skill development. So, Mike, what do you do? What do you do for your skill development in teaching your system? I mean, do you have a lot of full court skills or how do you do it? Yeah, you got to, again, if we're playing a full court system, you, you just adjust. You're still doing the skills, but you're doing them at a pace. Like if the passing drill, you're doing a full court passing, getting the ball court, getting it in quick. Um, that translates to a game. You're not just doing it. Um, you're still working it. the fundamentals are still there. They're just done at a faster pace. So try to come up with drills. You can maybe take a drill you like or have used when you were quote unquote conventional and just adapt it to the pace you're playing at, make it a full court drill. That's, that's what we try to do. And again, we try to, as I said, we, we're pretty much stick to what Doug, Doug's format, the, the different days, the different emphasis working in skill development our our problem is girls high school is finishing so we spend a little bit more time on finishing full court layups uh different ways different scenarios um you know the offensive rebound try to do a few more drills covering that which is still skill I, you know, it's an overlook when you think skill development everything's passing dribbling shooting but in this system offensive rebounds as important as any of the other stuff I would just interject. We would on our practice plan every day, right under the heading, put emphasis of the day. One, one thing, just one thing, and that was my my focal point for that day. You know, was that was that? I would and the staff. We went into that practice. Maybe it was offensive rebounding, contact wedges, or whatever specific one thing. Not that we weren't teaching other things, but you can be careful. You're not teaching too much. What you teach is what you're going to get. And you're trying to teach too much, you're going to get nothing. So thinning that out, what you don't teach is really, deciding what not to teach is really important. But uh, an emphasis of the day helped, helped us and our players focus. Hey, Doug, don't you believe that you have to encourage, and I do this with my little kids, I encourage kids to go hard and make mistakes. I know that sounds crazy, but I want them to be fearless. Isn't that important? I mean, Teach kids, hey, that's all right. Recover from it. Let's get back up. You met the ball gets away from you. Hustle after it. Continue on. I think that's really important. What do you guys think? Uh, in education, and I've been teaching since back in the '70s. And I think teacher, good teachers are the ones who build confidence 
And I think early on as, as a coach, I probably tore it down more than I was building it. And there, there are times still where, you know, you get a little bit overly negative. And I, I just really feel like that one of the best things that a, a student or a player can learn as they go through school, whether as a student or as an athlete, is that it's okay to mess up. And especially with young ladies, they, they, they tend to be, at least the ones that I've recruited, right. tend to be perfectionists. They're really good students in the classroom. They hate making mistakes. They hate looking bad. And the system gives them an opportunity to understand that missing a shot is not necessarily a big deal. Uh, because we're very likely to get a second shot for you. We're very likely to get that rebound. And making a mistake on the press, if you made a, a good uh, calculated, took a calculated risk and went for the ball, you just didn't happen to quite get it, that's not a bad thing. It, it means we get the ball back quicker. And you gave us an opportunity. And, and over time in the system, there are countless opportunities to reinforce the idea that it's okay to mess up. And that goes back to something Gary mentioned earlier, learning how to play without fear. And if you can, you can teach young ladies or young men for that matter, to live their life without fear, you really got something. You've got a young person who is well-equipped for life. And I think that's what the system can teach them. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, we had a young man at Redlands, Billy Shivers, that uh, played in our program before we went, uh, two years before we went system. And he was a great student, and he's a very successful accountant now. Uh, and, uh, and, and it was really hard for him. That year, his junior year, going into his junior year, we went to the system. And it was really hard for him to fill that role as a preferred shooter and put up shots that were not great shots. His shooting percentage, it was very, very hard for him. And it was a great evolution to see by the time his, his senior year had come along, he had a great senior year and made 27 threes in one game himself. Uh, and uh, it was a, was it 27? He had, no, it wasn't 27. He had a 50, he had a 59, 59 point game, I think, but the number of threes that he would have been 27. My, my math isn't too good, is it? Yeah. But he, he, he made a lot of threes, but 59 point game with pretty much all threes. But, but it is giving people the freedom, as Doug says, to, to fail and playing without fears, big part of it. And it's more fun. The other thing I would inject is that for me at least, and I think for many of the coaches, it's a, it's a, it's a funner way and more enjoyable way to coach. Uh, I've, it's, instead of having to drag every single position in that half-court defense out of people and the, what, it, what it takes from them and it takes from you, it's, 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 it's hard, really hard. Not that this isn't a hard thing to do, but it's a lot more fun and a lot more positive. There's a lot more positiveness in your opportunity as a coach to, to, to uh, congratulate, to applaud is, is greater in the system than it is in other types of basketball. You know, when we, when we first saw Coach uh, Arsenal coach at Grinnell, the, the first thing I noticed was that he sat on the end of the bench, not at the head of the bench. <laughs> and it was also almost like he was a spectator. He very seldom got up and made any changes or corrections because with the substitution patterns, those kids are coming off the floor in a, a minute anyway. They're going to sit down by him and he can tell them anything they might need to know. But it was almost like he was there to applaud and, and to just observe. In, now, he was a very hands-on hands practice coach. Right. But in games, 
it was as if he was just enjoying the fruits of his labor and enjoying seeing those guys execute at a level that that was just amazing and that that gave them the spotlight was on them not on the coach right. and he was there to enjoy and appreciate and and have have fun with what his kids were doing so I, I really that that stuck with me and that's something that that I've continued to do is just try to emotionally remove myself just a little bit you're still there to try to help kids at end of game situations and things like that but you know you can be overly involved too and you really want the spotlight on the players that's so true that's a lot of wisdom in that right there I think a lot of coaches can heed that advice for sure on that yes focus on the players Yes. Hey, guys. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for taking the time out um, of your busy day and so forth. Do you guys have any final words uh, that you want to mention and so forth? You guys gave a wealth of information. I appreciate you guys joining me on this Saturday. Now you can go out and hit some golf balls. All right. <laughs> thanks, Kevin. I yeah, just right, play hard. Here, Doug, thank you. Mike, man, we'll be talking down the road, man. I'm keeping right. track of your team. <laughs> All right, take nice. care. All right. All right, take care. Hey, coaches, this is Brad Hillegas, content producer at Huddle for the NBA, NCAA Division One, and high school basketball. I'm a big fan of Coach Furtado's podcast, Championship Vision, because it connects coaches around the country that want to continue learning and growing our beloved game. The X's and O's, coaching philosophy, teaching principles, they're all here. And that's a mission that we're working on at Huddle as well. More than 160,000 teams, including the best in the world, use Huddle to elevate their performance with video. But our collection of online tools is much more than that. Mobile desktop apps, smart cameras, video editing, data analytics software, the list goes on. But our goal is to help coaches like you teach the game in a modern way, whether that's connecting with your athletes, communicating your game plan, or looking to gain a competitive edge. And if you want to see how Huddle can help your program, visit Huddle.com. That's H-U-D-L.com to learn more. And of course, keep listening to the Championship Vision podcast to never stop learning. Huddle is the preferred video and analytics platform for over 6 million users and 150,000 teams worldwide. Huddle offers a complete performance platform, including the most powerful and flexible tools for video analysis with online tools, mobile and desktop apps, smart cameras, analysts, and more. For more information on Huddle, check out hudl.com or at Huddle on Twitter and Instagram.